You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton, and I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Alex Barallo, for another episode of Jet Nation Radio. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Glenn, and good evening, Jet Nation. So, training camp is is just, I mean, what this might be our last show before camp. We've got about a week till camp kicks off, and it's, you know, obviously a very exciting time because I will say, even though every offseason we find ourselves saying, you know, toward the, the early, mid-July, we talk about how things are dragging and going so slow and the season can't get here fast enough. Um, I don't know about you guys, and maybe, you know, Alex, we've talked off the air a little bit, um, me having started a new job not long ago with crazy, crazy hours. The last few weeks has flown by for me. Like, I, I, it wasn't until, you know, a week or so ago when I saw somebody tweet out that, you know, camp was two weeks away, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, that real to me, it snuck up. But, Alex, you got to be excited. Oh, absolutely. Uh, more football, more content, seeing guys flying around. Uh, we're almost there. The, the light is getting a little bit brighter at the end of the tunnel. And I have to ask you, Alex, um, We I forgot to ask you this earlier when we were talking before the show. Uh, did you get a chance to watch One Jets Drive? And if so, what were your impressions? Oh, tell me you were not ready to run through a brick wall after that intro by, by Adam Gase. My goodness. And and just seeing him talk about some of the little uh, just tendencies of, of Darnold from such a, a young young age and and anticipated throws and dropping dimes in a bucket, throwing uh, forty yards on the flick of a wrist with your shoulders and your feet pointing in the opposite direction, he, Darnold does things that you couldn't coach in a quarterback camp, um, and it, and if you could fix the, the fundamentals and add them with the skills that he's developed through unique athleticism, it, we're really, really um, possibly on the verge of, of, of seeing a really, really good quarterback here, and it's very exciting. Yeah, you know, I, it, it's, it's weird. I go back and forth between proclaiming Donald the franchise quarterback because he has just looked that good. And, uh, you know, obviously as a fan, you're just, you're so tired of not having one. You want to believe it. And I, I try to temper my expectations and remind myself that, uh, you know, he hasn't proven that he'll be what we believe he can. And then you watch something like that and any, any little, you know, I say, I always say how you and me and, and, you know, people who are awesome enough to, to tune in and listen to us every week how addicted we are to this team and this game and like any morsel of info, any, any feedback, especially, and there's something about having a new coach. I mean, let's be honest, new coach. It's that fresh start. You know, it's, it's that, uh, you know, it's, it's that the brand new baby, all, all the hope, all the, all the potential in the world, you know, and Adam Gase, all the accolades, or I shouldn't say accolades, but all the, 
the the feedback that you hear from from guys like Peyton Manning and how respected Adam Gase is as an offensive guy, which the Jets have not had in forever. And you you know all those little things start to come together, and you kind of you can't help but get so pumped up because you have an offensive coach, you believe you have the franchise QB. Offense isn't going to take you know isn't going to take a backseat to defense anymore as it has for so many years, and it's just it's tough not to get pumped, man. And I, I'm sitting there watching it, and it's uh like you said, you know it, it gets you excited. Um, uh, it's, it's bittersweet for me. I have to tell you though, cause not being able to go to camp this year is just, this will be my first time in, you know, three, four years that I haven't been able to get out to Florin park for camp. Um, and it really, really sucks, but you know, these things happen. I knew when I'm, you know, when I made the jump to move to England that I wouldn't be in camp every year. Uh, well, I think I, I hoped I would, but in the back of my mind, I knew, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. Um, so bittersweet, but who cares about me? Let's talk about the Jets. Alex, we're going to go over the roster. We're not going to do like a, a up and down cover the entire 53 or at least what would be our projected 53. Uh, we're just going to go position by position and name a few guys who we think are, are being overlooked guys who could compete for a roster spot. I saw a tweet earlier. And it really – actually, I want to get your thoughts on this first, Alex, and see if you think I'm crazy because, you know, I'm always the first one to say I'm a dopey blogger. I'm a fan who likes talking about the Jets. I'll sit down and talk on a podcast. I'm not going to pretend to know more than an executive or a coach or a player or this, that, and the other. But I saw a tweet yesterday from uh, longtime Jets right tackle Damian Woody, who is a fantastic player. The Jets – he – I think I think Damian Woody's departure is underrated. You don't hear you don't hear enough about how they've struggled to to find a, a force at right tackle since he left. But Damian Woody sent out a tweet saying that he you know he, he thinks they should cut the preseason to two games, not add two to make it eighteen, which has been a discussion this week. But stay with sixteen games, but two preseason games. His reason being, when camp comes around, teams know who their fifty three guys are. Which I, I mean, you can't tell me there aren't some guys who surprise and win spots that the GM and the coach didn't see coming, and it it just surprised and and it's funny because not funny but it, it was I I kind of flash back I, I feel like he sent an identical tweet a year ago because James was it James Farrier I think it was James Farrier who commented on it and said you know. They yeah they also know they're starting twenty two, and I was just like, nobody ever wins a job in the NFL, like your fifty three man and your twenty two your twenty two starters. Every team knows exactly who those guys are before camp starts. That I I just I can't agree with that. You can't tell me great they played in the NFL Pro Bowlers Super Bowls great. Players don't win jobs. Guys don't come into camp and. And, and and scouts and coaches and the G, they they never sit in a meeting and go, wow, this, this guy's a little better than we thought. This guy's working his way up the depth chart. Oh, this guy might make a roster. We didn't expect that. That that, that that's got to that, it's idiocy, right? And I mean, you, you can't tell me every team comes into camp knowing exactly who their fifty three guys are. They might know who forty seven of them are. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt forty five, forty six, forty seven spots are are filled in. But there's going to be five, six spots to be won, 
And that's kind of what camp is all about, and that's what makes it so much fun, you know, for, for watching these guys just play their asses off to try to win a roster spot. Do you think that's a? Do you think teams come into camp knowing, as Damian Woody said, who their fifty-three guys are before the preseason starts? Yes and no. I I think that there is it's a gray area because you have an idea of where players will fall into particular categories, mainly due to contracts and money and things like that. So maybe that's what he's saying because there's no reason for like a player like CJ Mosley to even take one snap, for instance, this preseason, because why would he have to prove himself this preseason? He's a $17 million man. He better be starting and, and producing what his contract is. But in the same instance, you think about, like these these training camp stories and these UDFAs that come through this process and they make claims for themselves. If if he had his way and to only have two preseason games, you know the world may never have seen a player like Victor Cruz, or or maybe you know a UDFA like uh, Wayne Corbett. Let's just say maybe we never get to see him because he doesn't get in one of those two preseason games. So. You know, you can go back and forth on a topic like that. Uh, It's an interesting idea. I don't know if it would ever pan out. Uh, I do feel that that maybe it should be more geared toward the lower-tier guys uh, because at the end of the day, you're probably doing more evaluating on on bubble guys and back end of the roster for those preseason games, especially the week three and, and, uh, and week four and basically week four no starter should should be getting in and and I guess that's kind of where he's getting at uh, they they know what they're who they're going forward with so it, it's an interesting take it, it's a, a little bit of a crazy idea it raises some eyebrows but I guess the idea of maybe having more regular season games would be enticing because um, you know more football is more fun at the end of the day right yeah I think I think if uh, if they expand the schedule and they go to eighteen games. Uh, one thing I heard pitch, and it's funny, I, I can't, I don't, I can't recall if it's something that I saw pitched, but I do remember having this conversation uh, a few years ago, um, out with some friends, and we, just, you know, we're talking NFL, and and I think one of my buddies said it. He's like, if you're going to expand to 18 games, you got to cap the number of games a guy can play. Like, no, no single player can play more than 16 games. That way, you're not adding the amount of abuse these guys are taking. And you're maybe, which I kind of like, because I like the idea of you're kind of, you are forcing coaches to give young guys a couple games. And, you know, you know, the smart coaches will stagger it and do it in a way where they don't leave themselves vulnerable. But, uh, but anyway, you know, like I said, I, you, you know, you mentioned Wayne Corbett. Wayne Corbett came into training camp. I think he was like the 17th receiver on the depth chart. Um, you can't tell me the Jets came into camp knowing he was going to make the roster. Uh, you know, another guy, Brandon Moore another undrafted free agent, those guys coming to camp, you know, guys win jobs. Um, with all due respect to Damian Woody, you know, th- there are roster spots to be won in training camp. I think that uh, cutting down the two games, you know, you'd be fine with that if, you know, like you said, you you, you don't play your starters. You know, maybe maybe you give them a, a series or two in, in the first game and that's it. Uh, you know, just to get them some live reps against another team's starters. But I think the the the, the problem there that you could run into. I mean, fans are still going to watch anyway. But we do see how games early in the season, especially tackling, tends to be really sloppy. 
because guys don't get enough reps in the preseason. Um, I think if you went to two games and your starters only played in one of them for a couple series, I think uh, you'd be looking at week three, four, five till tackling got to where it should be. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll move along from that. I just that jumped out at me, and I just thought to myself, I I can't see teams that all 32 teams know exactly which 53 guys are making their roster. It just it doesn't make sense to, to say that no one ever wins a job. So anyway, moving on from that. So Alex, we're gonna we're gonna go position by position, and uh, and then there may be, there may not be anybody in it at some positions for you, uh, but we're gonna talk about some guys who could win some jobs, who fans maybe aren't thinking about, and there are some positions like quarterback. Listen, outside of Sam Darnold, it's a total total toss up. You know, nobody nobody has done anything as a pro. You know, of any you know. Great significance, Trevor Simeon. Obviously, you'd have to figure is the uh, the favorite. But what what are your thoughts on quarterback and and how the how the depth chart could shake out behind Sam Darnold? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting um, because I think a lot of people uh, just automatically set Trevor Simeon in that number two role, and I can't remember who specifically uh, was commenting about it during their workouts. But apparently, Davis Webb has done a really really good job. And it seems like he's moved up um, and is, is nipping on the heels of Simeon to, to grab that number two spot. So that's definitely... Yeah, I believe that was Connor Hughes, uh, by the way. Connor Hughes. Okay, yep. Um, and quite interesting um, just to to hear, you know, a kid that was drafted, I think maybe third, fourth round, something like that from the Giants. They They gave up on him pretty early and the Jets kind of scooped him up and... Looks like he's make carving out a little, uh, you know, niche for himself. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, where Webb finds himself on the depth chart come week one. And I remember when Luke Falk was brought into the mix, I kind of thought he would be the dark horse, but maybe he's just uh, a vet that they brought in that's probably got the best understanding of the gay system, and he's just been brought along for the ride just to get – younger guys or unfamiliar people uh, up to speed with what Adam Gase is doing in, in his practices with his schemes and, and the terminology and other things like that. Yeah. I'm sure Adam Gase likes the idea of having a guy in that huddle um, or in that quarterback room rather, who has executed this offense to some degree, even if it was on a limited basis, but let's, let's not, you know, we're, we're talking about the backup quarterback position here. As I said, you know, there, there really isn't anybody who's done enough that you could say it has cemented the job. Again, you know, we all assumed Simeon, but as it was uh, Connor Rogers or Connor Hughes, rather, who said that, uh, that he believed that Webb has passed Simeon, or at least he did during OTAs. You know, it's, it's, it's OTAs and preseason. That stuff can change in a matter of a couple of practices. But you look at, you look at a guy like Falk um, out of Washington State. He was only drafted last year, and he was, you know, not the biggest arm, but, uh, you know, he completed 68% of his passes in college. And, you know, through what he had, he had over 100 touchdown passes. I mean, yeah, 100, 119 touchdown passes, 39 picks. So, you know, the numbers were there, but the arm strength is questionable. The, you know, the offense that, that they ran kind of, you know, very QB friendly. But I, I do remember the, a lot of the pre-draft hype around him was that he would be a mid-rounder. Obviously, that didn't happen. He went, I believe, in round six. And, uh but then, you know, he spent some time with Gase. And he's a guy, like you said, a dark horse. 
who does have a shot, but Webb is an interesting guy because they, you know, the Jets did, you know, I feel like you can say this about so many guys, but you really feel like uh, it would have been nice if, if Todd Bowles would have, would have given Webb a little bit of run last year. Obviously that didn't happen um, as you know, was often the case, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're right in that, that Falk is, is the interesting dark horse. And web passing Simeon is, you know, it's going to get some people's attention because you got to have somebody back there who can, who can, you know, you know, you pray to the football gods that Darnold plays all 16 games, but if something happens, maybe he misses, you know, a game here, you know, maybe two or three games, you want somebody who can come and at least manage it. And, uh, and basically not, not necessarily carry your team, but give your team an opportunity to win. And Simeon's a guy that we kind of presumed would take that spot. But now it sounds like it's a little bit more up in the air than than a lot of people expected. Definitely, and, and you know what the, the 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 kicker is is that we we put so much emphasis um, on what's going to happen and the development and and year two will he take the big step in Darnold and it's like people think that he's you know, made of steel, that it's impossible for, for him to not participate in 16 games this year. We saw last year uh, with some inconsistent offensive line play that he's not Mr. Perfect, and there's absolutely 100% chance that he could miss some time. And where does that put this team? You know, where does that put, uh, you know, a lot of people that are putting playoff band-aids uh, <laughs> out there for, for this organization. And it, it's just remarkable that there's just people that feel that if we don't go to the playoffs this year, you know, it's, it's all Adam Gase's fault and they shouldn't have made him the coach and they're dysfunctional and all that rhetoric. But the other aspect of, of these wild jets fans that I often see in my opinion, if the Jets are successful this year and they do make a run, will Gase get the credit for it, or is everyone going to backtrack and say that it was Mike McCagnin's team? And and it just kind of racks my brain a little bit. I'm sorry, I'm going off topic here a little bit, but it really just gets me going that people are putting a playoff mandate without seeing that you know all 11 or all 22 guys out there and seeing how quickly that they can gel into this new system. I'm keeping my self-reserved with my expectations. Uh, I do feel we've, you know, improved a lot of positions, but let's just see how things go through training camp. Let's see how things plan out in preseason. And when October rolls around and we've got a few games under our belt, maybe I'll start making an assessment on how serious this team can be to play in February. Yeah, I think the only way we hear Mike McCagnon's name again in any meaningful manner is is if this team goes out there and is, you know, they go out and, and shock everybody and, you know, win 12 games, something like that. Then people are going to look at it and think, uh, it's a pretty damn good roster, that guy. Because, you know, that, like I said, I, I, you know, been to it before. I supported Mac, didn't love the firing, but said it was not a bad move if you can get someone like Joe Douglas. It's exactly who they got. So I do like that. But I think it is going to be interesting if, you know, if you go out and because I, I think I told you about this. It was somebody, I, you know, who I spoke to was a big anti-Mac guy. And he was so happy he was fired. And then we're talking a few days later. and He's like, oh, I really think the team is good enough to make the playoffs. 
and, and I said, well, you just told me the guy they fired was a good thing, but now you're telling me they have a playoff <laughs> roster before the new guys made a single move. He's like, oh, you got a fair point. But anyway, McCagnin's gone. The roster is much improved. The win should be there. Um, I don't think Adam Gase is under any heat unless the team looks no better than they did last year because you have undoubtedly improved. I mean, you've added a, a damn good slot receiver. You have your quarterback and, you know, young tight end going from year one to year two where they, you're expected to see them make that jump. You add the best running back in the NFL. You added one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL. You upgraded left guard. I mean, there's so many upgrades across the board that if this team goes out there and wins four, five, six games, I think, I think, and that, you know, like you said, I, I don't know about a playoff mandate, but I'm saying this team at the very least better be playing meaningful football in week 16, 17. If they don't make the playoffs, that's fine. But um, I think this is a team that has to win nine or 10 games. Um, well, I shouldn't say has to. I sh- could, could slash should if, uh, if Gase gets everyone playing to their full potential because I, I think the talent's that good. But, but speaking of that talent, let's, uh, Let's look at the wide receiver spot. We talked about quarterback. Let's talk about the targets. Who are some guys you're looking at there who are under the radar, you know, not not the big-name guys, guys we know aren't starting? And, and I believe me, receiver every year is probably one of the toughest things to, to get a read on because of the fact teams carry 16, 17, 18 receivers in training camp. Yeah, receiver's definitely hard. Um, I remember looking at training camp last year and watching players – uh, that looked pretty good in preseason games. They were making plays uh, as far as, you know, seven on seven and 11 on 11 drills were concerned. Uh, one of the guys, uh, I think it was Charles Johnson. Was that one of the wide receivers we had um, yep. that were in the mix last year? The guy looked really good. Um, he did. I, I remember um, he made a nice. Trey McBride as well. Uh, McBride was a guy that was making plays left and right during training camp last year. And I could have at least told you, you know, Sharon Peak doesn't bring anything to the table besides being a special teamer. And good thing I didn't bet any money on that because Peak stuck and the other two guys walked. So when I look at this roster, you know, I, I, I look at these three guys in particular in the back end. We know and we're pretty confident on the top three with Enunwa, Anderson, and Crowder. So then that leaves the four, five, six, and and where I have these three individuals, and rank them however you please. Uh, but I have Bellamy, Josh Bellamy, Deontay Burnett, and Greg Dorch are the three candidates that I I feel could make this 53. Uh, I I believe that uh, there there's a little bit of favoritism with Gase on Josh Bellamy. Um, just from history and looking at his contract that he has, he has incentives or if he play, sees the end of this two-year contract, he can get up to almost $5 million. Uh, so you just don't throw contracts like that for guys that you're looking to just see as a camp body. Those are more of the uh, league minimum style deals. Um, another guy, you know, Jante Burnett, we all know the history goes back to Sam Darnold's days in college at, uh, uh, Southern California, and then there's the uh, the, the small guy, the the, the dark, my dark horse, Greg Dorch, who seems to be uh, talked about a little bit more and more uh, by the beat writers. Uh, apparently, he's flashing here and there. 
Uh, we, we've heard stuff like this with players in the past, so we can't get too crazy about it. Um, I'm not sure where I – if I had to choose between Burnett and Dorch, I'm just not sure where I want to go yet. I'm leaning more toward Dorch because I think that there is returnability in him that gives him a little bit of a bigger edge than Burnett. But if Gates feels that familiarity and comfort for Darnold is better with Deontay Burnett, I would definitely side with that decision too. Uh, But those are the three guys that I see on the back end of the roster that intrigue me and I'll be keeping an eye on when camp rolls around. Yeah, we've, we've talked a little bit about all those guys at some point and they, they do, you know, you, you do get the impression that with the, with the need for for some, for some more depth behind the established guys they have at receiver, you know, depending on how well these guys play, you could see two or three guys find a way to, to hang around once the season kicks off. I do think that, you know, and, and we've said before, you know, for the money they're paying Bellamy it, it, and his familiarity with Gase, it would be hard to, 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 to believe that they don't envision a, a bigger role for him. And, you know, giving him a, a very real chance to make the team. Burnett, we've, you know, I've been going on about him since they picked him up last offseason. He was a guy that I'd hoped the Jets would grab as an undrafted free agent. They didn't. The Titans did. Titans let him go after he had a very good camp with them. Jets picked him up. Todd Bowles nailed him to the bench, put him in the game week 17. I mean, he had a couple reps here and there. And then week 17, he plays him, and uh, he was one of the best players on offense that day. And, of course, you know, as everyone has said a million times over, that that chemistry with uh, with Sam Donald from their time at USC together. Dorch, we've talked about quite a bit, uh, especially you know, of course, right after they they added the undrafted free agents. Uh, one guy who we haven't talked a whole lot about, but uh, you know, we talk about guys who might have a shot because of returnability, and they do have a, a bunch of guys on the roster who have done some return work. But uh, a guy that I'm that I'm probably of the. Uh, most looking forward to in terms of guys we haven't heard about or talked about a whole lot is J.J. Jones, wide receiver out of West Georgia. This is a guy who spent a little bit of time last year with the uh, with the San or sorry the Jets grabbed him a, after he was let go by the San Diego Chargers. Whoops, sorry, L.A. Chargers, where he uh, he came into camp, he made a lot of noise, he stuck on the roster, and then he promptly had you know a couple of big fumbles early on as a punt and kick returner. But this is a guy who's uh comes in at five ten and he just kind of has an interesting resume in that is he didn't put up huge numbers in college, but you did see, you know, the uh his ability to make plays after the catch and his ability to to make plays as a return man uh did show up. He you know, he ran a four three five and I think that, you know, outside of Robbie this team doesn't have an established speed guy and I'd like to see somebody stick even if it's you know, as the even if it is the sixth receiver, just another sort of home run threat coming off the bench. And I think J.J. Jones is a guy who has a chance to fill that role if he can uh, find the handle on the football and make some plays. But I think uh, as far as wide receivers go, those are the guys that jump out at me. And then, of course, you have the running back position, which uh, if you want to go ahead and lead off with that, Alex, I know we've, we've talked about these guys quite a bit as well. Yeah, uh, for me, I think that the two guys that um, will not have any issues whatsoever making this roster will be Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery. Uh, Now, I know some people have some mixed opinions about Montgomery. I just kind of feel that 
his versatility to be moved around like a little chess piece as a receiver in each back. A, a you can line him up as a as a receiving running back. So I just feel that there's too much that you can do with this guy to confuse the defense for him to be in any sort of jeopardy. So that leads the the four uh, that are remaining is Bilal Powell, Eli McGuire, um, Trenton Cannon, and D'Angelo Henderson. Now, right off the bat, I would say that D'Angelo Henderson is probably the odd man out here, and I I would I, I go back and forth and I think about McGuire and Cannon a lot. And I, I just tend to have a little bit of an edge toward Cannon over McGuire, again, because when you have quality special team players that are on rookie contracts, which are basically pennies on the dollar, those, are, those guys are super valuable. And those guys are hungry. They, they, they want to get that, that second contract because, you know, that's where you're going to make your big money. And, uh I just kind of feel that if anyone is in, in super jeopardy here um, of losing their spot on, on this team would be Eli McGuire at this point in time. Um, it's unfortunate because last year seemed to be his year where he could have made a case for himself, but he got injured um, in August and he missed uh, about 10 games. So at this point, the, the only thing that sticks out in my mind is that epic run that he had in Jacksonville his rookie year and don't really recall any other big, big plays that he's made since that uh, particular game. Um, now, Bilal Powell, I think he does have a good chance of making this roster uh, just because we, we all know what he can do. Uh, but if any setbacks occur with his health, I, I think that makes the younger guys uh, in better position for sure. So a lot of variables here, health, um, you know, production, uh, value of, you know, what what else can you do besides run the football? And I think that's really going to determine how the, the back end of this backfield is going to round out. Yeah, I think uh, one thing worth mentioning, because I, I kind of, I was on the same page with you. I thought D'Angelo Henderson was a guy who didn't really have a shot, even though I, you know, the little bit that I did see of him in preseason a couple of years ago, you know, I went back and watched a little bit after the Jets signed him. I thought that he was a guy who was, you know, not a great player, but I thought he was a good enough player to, to be a back on somebody's roster. And uh, if you recall, having mentioned Connor Hughes' tweet earlier, that was sort of a series of tweets he sent out, and that was another one he sent saying that one of his observations from OTAs was that D'Angelo Henderson looked to be taking some of Eli McGuire's reps. So is he climbing the depth chart? Who knows? But he's, you know... Again, he's a, sort of a short, compact, quick guy who can be explosive. So he may have a shot. But Bilal Powell, I think it's all going to come down to his health. I think if Bilal Powell is healthy enough, he has a very good chance to stick. And Trenton Cannon, you know, and I, I won't I won't beat this dead horse, but I think if it's up to Brant Boyer, I think that's the guy he wants to, you know, that he'll, he'll bang the table for, as everyone likes to say nowadays. Uh, I think he'll bang the table for Trenton Cannon to – to be one of his top gunners on specials. And Maguire, again, Maguire's a good player. I just I, I feel like in the right system, I, not even in the right system, Maguire in a system where somebody blocks a little bit <laughs> will be a very good player. Uh, you know, underrated guy, good hands, who can do a little bit of everything. So I think there's a place for him on a roster somewhere. Whether or not it's with the Jets, I think that's going to just come down to whether or not Bilal Powell 
finds a way to stick. And um, I don't know if I just saw a tweet. Not sure if you saw this. This, this kind of plays in because we were going to go move on to the the cornerbacks next. Uh, bless Austin, the the oft injured cornerback who the Jets took in the draft this season. Uh, tweeted out a little while ago saying he was feeling good because he has been cleared by the docs. So if he is 100%, you know, how the Jets handle him in camp is uh, is going to be worth watching because he's a guy who definitely has a good amount of talent. So worth watching, but staying at that position. Alex, the corners, I know Bless Austin is a guy we've talked about that's going to be someone who, you know, we'll both be watching closely. Who else do you view in that cornerback group, which to me is is easily the the weakest group on the roster? Yep, um, you know as we know, uh, we we've departed ways with uh, Buster Screen and Mo Claiborne, who I believe is still yet to be assigned, and yes, he's still, he's still agent, out there, but unknown health situation apparently with him. So. Besides our top three, which remain Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole, and apparently they've been fluctuating Poole and Roberts outside as the number two guy. So then that leaves us with the uh, appears to be healthy, Blessing Austin, um, second-year guy, Perry Nickerson, and the the guy that everyone seems to like and talk about, and I know you're a big fan of him, Derek Jones. Now, I think that Austin makes this a little bit tougher for for both Nickerson and Jones because if he just happens to be the athlete that we've read about, um, because clearly there's not a lot to see on this player, um, limited tape um, and the amount of games in which he's played, but from his profile, it sounds like he has the skill set or possibly the potential of being a very, very good defensive back. So this really, really um, will make it interesting. I don't know if this is one of those situations where you're working with a lot of uh, lower tier guys and you're hoping that one of them emerge. Um, You know, if you were to do a rating scale and these guys on a scale of 100 or in between the, the 65 to 75 range and you have them all duke it out, you're still getting kind of a below average to an average player at the end of the day. So, again, uh, it's just an unknown situation. It is a little scary when you think about how talented this team is in particular groups. And then when you look at this uh, defensive back uh, group, there's there's some room to be desired for sure. If I had to be a, a betting man, I think Derek Jones is going to be the guy that takes a step this year. Now, from what I've seen, well, from Perry Nickerson, he does seem like he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and and maybe that'll carry some weight for him when he goes through this rigorous process of, of who's going to get that, that number three or number four spot in the depth chart. Right now, if I had to place these guys in, in an order, I'd probably have Derek Jones going in at that number four spot then Nickerson at that five, and then Blessing Austin would definitely be the dark horse here, and he could really make things interesting and and put some guys under duress if he happens to be healthy and and is able to to show his skill set this summer. Yeah, I think that's one of the more surprising things uh, to me is 
the Mo Claiborne still being a free agent because it was reported. Uh, God, it's got to be over a month ago now that he he did have some. He had a surgery. Uh, it wasn't disclosed what it was, how serious. But there were no major injuries that we know of um, late in the season. So, you know, anything that would require this type of recovery time and surgery. Uh, it's a weird thing because, you know, Mo Claiborne's not a great player, but you'd feel a lot better about the secondary if they brought him in just because he's an established vet who's proven he can play a little bit. And right now they don't have many of those at the cornerback position. I think, uh, I, you know, Derek Jones, yes, of course, been talking him up for a while now. Perry Nickerson's a guy who I thought looked – pretty good um in camp last year that didn't translate into games you know when he did get on the field there was some miscommunication issues he got beaten coverage um he also had what i believe was the the best defensive or at least the best interception of the year for the jets uh but it was basically a blown call from the officials against indianapolis made a fantastic leaping interception in the right corner of the end zone where his toe was just barely in and the refs blew it, so he didn't get credit for it. So, you know, that's life. But uh, the young corners, are I mean, listen, they're all going to get a chance to show if they can play or not because they don't have anyone proven. And even the guys they have who are proven are huge question marks because they played so poorly last year. So Jones and Nickerson are guys who will likely get plenty of chance, plenty of opportunities to play. And same for Bless Austin. You know, but I think I think if he even if they've said he's a full go, which that's what it appears from the tweet he sent out, I would imagine the docs are gonna the team's gonna take it slow with him and not try to rush him back. So good news that he's he's gonna be able to go when camp starts, but I think the the wise move is, is gonna be to to take it slow there. Uh before we move on to our next position, we're gonna just take one second here to thank our sponsor, who is of course Mile Social. Jet Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. That's M-I-L-E social.com. Please visit milesocial.com to learn how they can help your business by managing your websites and social media. So basically what it breaks, what it boils down to, if you own a business and you're having a hard time fitting all of your duties and responsibilities into a, into a, into a full workday, if you hire Mile Social, bring them on board, they're going to take care of the part with your social media, which let's face it, it's 2019. This is how uh, this is how people shop. This is how people find where they're going to go to uh, to get the best customer service products, etc. So check them out, milesocial.com, M-I-L-E social.com. Okay, so moving right along, Alex, we've talked about the corners. Um, let, let's stay on the defensive side of the ball and talk a little bit about the outside linebacker position because there are a couple of names here uh, um, that I'd, I'd want to talk about a little bit. Uh, at least uh, on my list, um, Terrell Basham is a guy who I think, you know, he didn't play a whole lot last year, but he had a couple moments where he kind of, he, he popped out and you, you kind of did it, uh, at least for me anyway, you do a double take and kind of, you know, who was that? Who just made that play? Um, and it was Terrell Basham, whether, you know, pressure, QB hit, whatever it may have been. I think, uh, I think he had a couple, couple really good reps in week 17, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a guy. Then of course, Frankie Luvu. Who I spoke about quite a bit uh, during camp because he was, you know, he's, he's got the whole place with his hair on fire. Not not elite physical traits, but good enough traits that you feel like he could be a good situational pass rusher. And another guy, undrafted free agent, who I've talked about a little bit uh, from what I've been able to find on him or, you know, what I have watched, Jeff Allison, 
the outside linebacker out of Fresno State. He's a guy that I, I think has a chance to, to make some noise, especially if he shows he can play special teams. Um, I know you like at least a couple of those guys. So what are your thoughts on the outside linebackers? Yeah, uh, it's it's very interesting um, because there there's even a a family member that's thrown into that mix too. Uh, Jamie Mosley, uh, CJ Mosley's is that his little brother? I believe. Yes. I, I if I wasn't mistaken, I think the Jets kind of I don't know if they did the Mosley family a favor um, or if this guy maybe just ends up being on the practice squad too. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that pans out, but. Um, this is, you know, this position for me is just who who's it going to be? You know, we really hope it's going to be Ja'Kai Polite that kind of emerges as the guy. But according to J- Coach Joe Vitt in an interview that he had had a while back, he's a rookie. He's still going through that initial sponge process where he's absorbing everything and he's you know, he has to mature a little bit more every single day, um, learn the NFL routine, you know, dieting, working out, creating a proper schedule, uh, you know, choosing to hang out with the right people when you're, when you're not with the team to keep yourself out of maybe, you know, uh, uncomfortable or possibly troubling situations. So it's going to be interesting to see, not only who's going to be the starter, where it looks like it's pretty much hammered home in Jordan Jenkins and Brandon Copeland, but there was some things that Frankie Louvu did that definitely, you know, intrigued the mind to say he was very limited. And this year, new coaches are in-house, so there's no favorites. There's nothing like that going on here. You know, if you can go out and you can prove yourself this summer – you might find yourself being a rotational guy in pass rushing situations. Um, or in the event, maybe Luvu has better run stopping skills and is, is not as much as a liability as we've heard that Ja'Kai Polite can be um, protecting or maintaining the outside edge in the run game. So it'll be interesting to see if a guy like Luvu comes out. I, I do feel that Basham um, who's kind of a tweener. You know, I've seen websites where he's listed as a defensive end. I've seen where he's listed as an outside linebacker. And um, I remember, you know, you know, watching his film in college and, and coming away, not like, you know, wowed or anything, but you could see that this guy does have a knack to curry, to be a disruptor in the backfield. So for those two guys, Luvu and, and Basham, for me, are the guys that I, I kind of would like to see if they can can take a bigger step this year. You know, clearly, I think everybody can say that we really want Polite to work out, but we can't be uh, short-sighted here and, and, and not realize that there are other guys that are just as qualified to do what he can do. And I think the last guy that, that is probably interesting here that has not been mentioned um, all too often is James Burgess. Um now there was a uh, he had made some plays last year and I think he ended up fracturing his leg so you're probably not too familiar with him but new year new team and it'll just maybe he's just a special team guy um, and a body uh, for this summer but maybe James Burgess might be somebody that we'll be reading about more often in the weeks coming ahead. 
I think what what jumped out to me with uh, Burgess after being signed, as you said, he, he didn't get a ton of reps, so there wasn't a lot out there on him. But he did have, a couple of years ago, I think he only had nine starts and he had four sacks, which isn't a bad number. So I don't know I don't know if he's a the guy they envisioned as a situational guy or who could win a starting job. But uh, that's, you know, that, that's not a bad number for nine games. So that was, but that was really the only thing that jumped out at me about him. Uh, did watch a little bit of film on him when they signed him and thought, you know, didn't look like, uh, you know, he was going to be anything special. But he also, you know, kind of like I was saying earlier, some guys, you look at him and you think this, this guy's good enough to be on a roster somewhere. Um, and he kind of fits that that category for me. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about, actually, we'll, we'll stay we'll stay on defense for the moment. And, you know, we talked, you mentioned, we both mentioned Mosley already. You mentioned his little brother coming on board and his undrafted free agent. But now some of the, uh, some of the guys behind, because, I mean, that that's a, a, a linebacker duo on the inside, Williamson and Mosley, that if they can be even decent against the pass and coverage, that could be a lethal combo. Um, they could be right up there with Jamal and, and May if they're, you know, if, if everyone in that, if all those guys stay healthy. But the backups, uh, the guys that line up, you know, that'll be filling in for them, maybe even on, on passing downs. What what are your thoughts on some of the, the backup inside linebackers? Um, I think it's it's rather thin. Um, and, you know, the, my I'll tell you my dark horse right now would probably be Anthony Wint uh, to see where he ends up. More than likely, he'll be on the practice squad if I were a guessing man. Uh and then the other two guys that are of interest to me is Neville Hewitt and Blake Cashman. Now, due to the fact that Cashman is under a rookie contract, I think that gives him an edge as far as, you know, the pennies on the dollar thing, as I had mentioned, and he's here for the next four years. So I don't think that he's in too much jeopardy. Um, we do know that the the top two in, in Mosley and Williamson are pretty much almost – you could pretty much put them in stone. Uh, so it'll, it'll really be interesting to see, uh, will Anthony Wint put pressure on Neville Hewitt? We do know that Neville Hewitt, uh, is a very good, uh, special teams player. Uh, he came in and he did some good things at the end of the last year, uh, while Darren Lee was on his suspension. Uh, you, you could see that there were certain plays where he was biting on play action and, and, and taking himself out of you know, where he was supposed to be as far as zone coverage and, and positioning is supposed to be. So you can tell kind of why he's been uh, penciled in as a backup for a majority of his career. Uh, but that would be the two guys that I would most certainly want to keep an eye on is will Anthony Lint put pressure on Neville Hewitt this year to maybe take his spot? Um, my guess is probably no. And I could definitely see Hewitt and Cashman being the one two for the backups behind Mosley and Williamson. Yeah, I really liked what they got out of Hewitt last season. I thought uh, he was probably one of the biggest surprises to me, honestly, throughout the season. I, when they signed him, I didn't I didn't come away super impressed with him, for, with what he did in Miami. And then uh, seeing him up close, I kind of came, came away more impressed and thought he's a guy that they could probably – who probably could have been as good, if not better, in coverage – than what they were getting from Darren Lee. Of course, uh, Hewitt, a, a converted college safety, played safety at Marshall, so better cover skills than you get out of some inside linebackers. And a guy that I'd be surprised if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't hang around again this season, and somebody who can 
as I mentioned, they, there are some questions about the Jets' ability to to cover in the middle of the field. And if there is an issue there, he was a guy who you could see being called upon to step in and, and fill that role in certain situations. But moving on, we'll do uh, we'll do one or two more groups, and then we'll uh, then we'll wrap things up here. Um, actually, no, yeah, we'll just we'll do the one because there was one player in particular who I wanted to talk about and and get your thoughts on. I've not. Let me see. Just I've not uh, watched film on him in a while, but I was just going up and down the roster when we said that we would uh, when we that this would be the show we would do tonight, and went back and dug up some old notes I'd written down and found some old articles that were written, and could you know could be important you know because you know of course the the importance of the position, but al- along the offensive line, as the Jets look to kind of solidify themselves there. A guy they grabbed last year off the Patriots practice squad, Eric Smith. Eric Smith's a guy who played offensive tackle at Virginia. Uh, heard a lot of good things about him after the Jets grabbed him. Thought he thought he showed really good feet, good enough size for the position. And you just look at him and when you when you and it's not just him. I'll actually mention another guy real quick, uh, John Toth, the the center who they also grabbed. At uh, at near the end of last season, and he uh, he didn't get any reps. But both of these guys had impressive college resumes, showed good, um, not sorry, not versatility, durability. Almost said versatility, showed good durability. Managed to uh, managed to hold their own against some some really good competition. Toth was recognized at the Senior Bowl for being a standout there that week, and uh, Smith, of course, is a guy who had a reputation as a really good pass protector. And these are spots that are wide open. I mean, they might be, you know, backup left tackle, backup center. Those might be two of the, the most wide open spots on the roster. And I know the Jets have added, you know, there are a couple of other lesser known guys. Who, they'll all be competing for that spot. We know that they, you know, they added Calvin Anderson as an undrafted guy. They drafted Juma Doga, who I think we'll see on the right side of the line this year. But uh, but Eric Smith and Toth are a couple guys that I'm looking forward to seeing because the Jets could really use somebody stepping up uh, along that O-line, you know, O-lines around the league. You know, that's one of the funny things is, you know, some people get a little bit over the top when they talk about how, you know, teams don't have, you know, they, they don't have great depth on the O-line. Um, nobody does. It's the thing. Most teams don't even have a good O-line to begin with. The Jets O-line, as we've talked about, better in pass protection than run blocking. That should be improved this year uh, with Osmele and, and hopefully Harrison, and we'll see if any other moves are made there. But those two guys along the O-line are the ones I'm most interested in seeing, uh, Eric Smith and, and John Toth. So any thoughts on those guys or any other names you want to throw out there, Alex, as we uh, we wrap up our final couple minutes here? Yep. Um, well, what's interesting for me, and it kind of makes me a little leery, and I know a lot of people got um, – excited about this. I don't know if you happen to see it, but uh, good old Brian Winters was back at his old tricks of uh, strapping trucks to his, uh, to a harness oh, yeah. and, 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 and towing, I think he had three, uh, yeah. like, you know, pickup trucks yeah. attached to each other. And, you know, a lot of things go through my mind because I remember this a few years ago when he was towing, um, you know, one of those big, uh, 53 tractor trailer rigs. He didn't have the, the trailer on it. It was just the cab. 
he was pulling that thing around, and I thought, oh man, this guy's such a beast. And then he, you know, he comes out and has a abdomen uh, tear, and he has to, sh- he struggles through it through the entire season. And for whatever reason, in my mind, I always think about that video, and I just wonder, you know, if, if that stupid exercise he was doing led to that possible tear. And it obviously could have been anything working out or just a freak thing that while you're you're practicing, but kind of a little leery, like, all right, you know, kind of seen this. I guess it's exciting for those that have never seen him do this before. But in my mind, it's like, you know, we're a week away from training camp, bud. And, you know, uh, we, we've talked about his um, inconsistencies and they signed a guy in Tom Compton. And that's a name that interests me is that will Brian Winters do enough this year to keep his job and what, lies within Tom Compton um, as, as a, you know, a plug-and-play guy at the guard position from what I've heard. Uh, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if, if anything happens there. I'm pretty sure Winters is not in jeopardy. Um, that that would be the one guy that I'll be interested to see as far as this offensive line when everything pans out um, and clearly uh, the health of Brandon Shell. Um, we, we've seen him out there. He, he's got a – one of those big knee braces on, uh, I believe it's his right knee uh, that he messed up last year. So his health will definitely be something of interest to keep an eye on. And of course, uh, you know, who will be the next man up in the event if he has any setbacks this summer? Will it be Brett Quale or will they give the rookie Chuma Doga a nod and say, hey kid, the best way to get acclimated and, and develop is by playing on Sunday. And even though we may have aspirations of him playing left tackle one day uh, when Calvin Beecham's contract uh, expires. Um, who knows if they would give him a look at right tackle in the event something happened to Shell. And uh, that's pretty much where, you know, where I'll be keeping my eyes um, and my ears of interest to as far as this offensive line. And uh, But before we go, um, I just wanted to uh, bring up one uh, topic that, that surprise some people and uh, clearly they don't listen to us every week, Glenn. And, and, you know, maybe I have to go and and start tagging those people onto our show links, but a lot of reactions about Chris Herndon and uh, the suspension Mm. that had come down. And um, I know that there was some speculation about him uh, only getting two games and come to find out, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Costello or Samini that had put a little info in there that normally first-time offenders that um, end up with, uh, I think he had a driving while intoxicated citation. So he was drunk behind the wheel as far as I I know from the report. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. normally that's a two-game suspension, but there was some news that came out that he got to an accident and uh, the – individual that the car he had struck apparently they needed some medical attention um don't know you know hopefully that person's okay but because there was an incident with a a a citizen being involved i guess as a victim you could say or maybe that's too aggressive but because of that that is why he got four games rather than two and from manish meta he had said that he is going to attempt to appeal that to try to get that knocked down a little bit. So uh, what are your thoughts and reactions? I know we've kind of expected this, but for some fans, um, 
you know, it was a year ago, so clearly some people have forgotten. Yeah, well, clearly some people did. I saw some people reacting like it had just happened. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe he just did this. What an idiot. The season's about to start. It's like, did you start following the team 10 minutes ago? Um, yeah, that I don't get. But listen, um, he, my thought on that, because, you know, some people felt like four games was too harsh. Listen, when it comes to stuff like this, there's there's a really simple way to get a zero game suspension, and that is to don't drink and drive. Like I don't want to hear it. I don't want. I don't. I don't play these games where I, I I look at my favorite team and my favorite athletes, and I feel like they should be treated differently or above the law. Listen, I, I'm a huge Chris Herndon fan. Uh, b- bumped into his family before a preseason game last year and had a brief chat. Seemed like he had a great family. Really cool mom and dad down to earth and, do, you know, very short chat, but they just came across as like really good people. And um, I, he made a mistake. It was, it was a dumb mistake. There's no, there's no getting around it. But I, I'm, I'm not going to complain about the length of a suspension. I'm sorry. I, don't drink and drive. And then you don't get suspended. You know, whether it's Uber or a friend or, you know, teams make rides available to these guys. It's uh, uh, no sympathy from me. Uh, does you know not if he wins the appeal, gets it knocked down? To, <laughs> yeah, if it's knocked down to two games, fine. If it's not, that's fine too. Just don't drink and drive. Don't let it happen again. You know, it's more important than football. Um, but real quick, Alex, we got two and a half minutes, and I'm gonna throw a quick question at you because I tweeted this out, um, and it was just a random thought I had sitting there, you know, thinking about the undrafted free agent thing, and everybody, you know, the the guy teams always that fans, you know, I'm guilty of it too. Every time we think about undrafted free agent, great stories. We always, Wayne Corbett's the first guy that comes to mind. Wayne Corbett, Wayne Corbett, Wayne Corbett. Then I thought to myself, you know who's, a, at least in my lifetime as a fan, you know who's a better story than Wayne Corbett? And, you know, a lot of fans, because they just follow the ball the whole time, the offense is exciting, and all that. They, As far as I'm concerned, Brandon Moore is a better story than Wayne Corbett. Brandon Moore was a, a Pro Bowl guard, and Corbett, loved Corbett. He never made a Pro Bowl. Um... And Brandon Moore was a D lineman who converted to the O line as an undrafted free agent and made the team and became a Pro Bowler. To me, that's a better story. Uh, we got a minute and a half left. Am I crazy for that, Alex? Or do, do I have some? Uh, is there some validity to my claim? Absolutely not. Uh, my father was uh, a big offensive line guy. That's what he played in uh, his days, and he had some college time um, as a D tackle and a center. And he would always give me like. Look at, you know, look at the way Moore is. Look how low he gets to the ground. You know, even though he wasn't the biggest guy, uh, he, he was definitely the most underrated player during that era. He did his Absolutely. job. He rarely got penalized. Um, you didn't really hear too much with him. He was extremely humble. And those are the guys that, that you loved. And, and he was just an absolute moose. And, and definitely when Damian Woody came in, like you mentioned earlier, I feel like that really brought that whole offensive line and solidified the, the strength in which that they had had. And, uh, yeah, definitely does not get enough credit because he was a phenomenal offensive lineman for this team. Yeah, like I said, great player, made a Pro Bowl. And, it's, look, it's not a matter of not liking Corbett. Like, you got to be out of your mind to not love Wayne Corbett. Like I said earlier, you came into camp like the 17th rated uh, receiver on, on the or uh, 17th guy in the depth chart. So, of course, you got to love Corbett. But to me, Brandon Moore goes from the D line, moves to the O line, undrafted, becomes a pro bowler. That's the better story, in my opinion. We got 15 seconds left before this thing closes out. Alex, uh, 
So go ahead and give out your Twitter handle, and we will catch you next week, Jets fans. At NYJetsLife24. Training camp's next week, folks. Let's go. Absolutely. Take care, Jets fans.